0: Welcome to this week's episode where I am welcoming Victoria Bermudez, who is a certified sleep consultant with Bella Luna Family, a toddler mom, and we are talking all about managing toddler sleep. Thank you for joining me today, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to talk about this because I get a lot of questions about this on my Instagram, um, but I want to know a little bit more about you. Tell me about yourself and why you decided to be a sleep consultant.
1: Sure. So, I am a certified child sleep consultant. I'm also an army wife, and I have my own two-year-old son who keeps me on my toes every single day. Um, I also have a degree in child and developmental psychology. And about a year ago, I became certified in child sleep consulting through the Family Sleep Institute. Um, So, I made the decision to become a child sleep consultant when my son was around six months old because honestly sleep was so so hard for us um as a newborn he really struggled to fall asleep and stay asleep and just because of the way that I am as a person um this fueled a really really serious obsession for me i started researching everything i could get my hands on all the books all the articles so by the time we finally got him sleep trained around, around 4 months old I had read so many books and articles on sleep training. I was talking to anybody who would listen about it. And my friends started asking me um, for help and advice. And so, you know, helping people is something that I've always felt a very strong pull for, like a very strong passion for. I have a background in mental health, um, which we know that sleep really affects. Like is a really big, um, in, sleep has a really big impact on maternal mental health. Um, I also found that there's this really big stigma and a lot of misinformation, you know, surrounding baby sleep and sleep training. And so I really wanted to provide guidance and assistance to families who are feeling helpless like I did, but also confused about like how, to, like how and where to even start. You know, sleep is not a luxury, and I believe that we all deserve to feel empowered regardless of how we handle sleep and parenting.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I know we, we connected on my Instagram a while back um, when you yeah. had actually just become a sleep consultant. And I remember you asked, you're like, you know, I just started this thing I would love to be on. This was like months ago. And I, I promised you that I would have you on because I could just sense your passion for what you're doing, obviously being a toddler mom, but also your your desire to help so many parents out there. And I'm sure you've, you have you've in the past uh, months. How long have you been a sleep consultant again? About a year now. I awesome. was certified about a year ago. Yep. Awesome. I think that's so great. And you said it perfectly that we all deserve sleep. Um, And also how I look at it as a pediatrician and why I'm happy we're doing this episode. There are so many health benefits of the child getting sleep. And you said beautifully about the parents getting sleep. Maternal mental health is so greatly impacted by the sleep of the family and especially the sleep of the child. And so I think it's important that we always talk to families about the options out there, because I can't tell you how many times families come in and they just feel that they have to struggle with this when, of course, it's going to take some work to get to where they need to go to manage toddler sleep. But there are solutions out there to help your child learn how to sleep, whether that's slowly, gradually, you know, being with you and co-sleeping and getting, um, you know, to be on their own, however you're approaching it, regressions. But it's just so important. I I cannot stress this enough, how how important sleep is for the mental health of the mom, the health of the child, the immune system of the child. So I'm glad we're talking about this. Absolutely. And you're exactly right that
1: when we start to work on sleep, You know, a lot of times the primary presenting need is for the child. The child is the one who is struggling and that's who we want to get sleep. But it really is a trickle down effect. And so once we start improving things for our kiddo, the whole family starts getting more sleep, better sleep. Everybody
0: is more well rested. Everybody is functioning better. So this is really like a whole family thing. This is going to be great. So obviously, I'm sure there are so many different strategies to look at. So we're going to be talking about some tips for families as they approach toddler sleep. And this may be two things. We're going to talk about toddlers who may have never been an independent sleeper and also toddlers who may have been a great sleeper as infants and then regressed. Maybe the advice may be a little bit different, maybe very similar, but we'll talk about that. So my first question is, if we're approaching it, um, you know, what would be some methods that you would do when beginning to sleep train a toddler, and especially if maybe the child has never been an independent sleeper? So where can they begin in this in this standpoint? So
1: when we talk about sleep training a toddler, especially one who has never been an independent sleeper, we have to keep in mind that we are um, we're we're talking about a kiddo who has been sleeping one way for a long time, you know, whether it's one year, two years, three years, um, four years. And it's not only about the child, it's about the parent too. They've been managing sleep this way for a long time now. And so um, the other thing that really comes into play is that toddlers, uh, especially once they get to be like around two and up, they have a lot of stamina. Um, they have really, mm-hmm. really big feelings when we make changes and they make sure that we know those feelings, like they make them known. So usually when I'm working with a toddler who has never been an independent sleeper, um, I gravitate more towards the methods that have at least a little bit of involvement. So. Um, something like a ferber where you are doing check-ins at set intervals. You're providing comfort and reassurance with your child, and then you're leaving the room again to allow them to work through it and adjust to the expectations. You know, basically you're reminding them, I'm here. I still love you. It's time to sleep. Um, Or you could even do something which is really more well-known as like a chair method where you start sitting right next to your child, whether they're in a crib or a bed. And you stay there while they adjust to the expectations, and they work through it, and then you gradually work your way out of the room over the course of a couple of weeks. So for toddlers, particularly the ones that are closer to two and up, um, those are the methods that I usually gravitate to. Something like an extinction or cry it out. It's not that they don't work. It's that, like I said, um, we're working with a kiddo who's never slept independently, and we're also working with a parent who is. Um, sometimes the parent has really big feelings about that change too. And so any method that you choose to implement, the most important thing is that it feels good for you in regard to your child's temperament and regards and in regards to your parenting style, because it has to be something that you can implement consistently consistency is the single most important factor when we implement a sleep training method. And if it doesn't feel good to you, you're not going to implement consistently.
0: Oh, very good point. And I, the consistency point is one of the biggest things, because I think when parents get into a plan, they often, you know, they come up with a plan, they're ready to go. And then night number two comes by night number three, and then they backtrack. And I don't think It's bad to reevaluate your plan, but it's important that when you come up with your plan that you say, okay, we're gonna give this a good shot for a week or two Mm -hmm. weeks. And then we'll reevaluate because I agree. There's different methods that may be better um, after you do one method, but you have to give it a shot. And I think that's the work of you know sleep consultants also, right? Just to kind of be that voice of, hey, you're doing amazing. I'm sure when you guys check in with the families, um, it's like reassuring them that, hey, this is what we're doing. What didn't you like about it? What can we do? Do you want? How long do you want to let this go for? But I think that's so important when you say consistency. The other comment I had was exactly what you said about the crying methods for older children. I do agree with you completely that crying methods for toddlers, and I when I say, when I say toddlers, I'm really talking about 18-month plus. Um, I really do think more cry methods can be harder because, again, the child has more awareness of well what where'd mommy go? You know, to leave them and let them cry is gonna be really difficult. And also like you said, the parent, if they've never done um, any independent sleep from their child, it's gonna be really a hard adjustment. I don't think it's a negative to do cry, but it's gonna be very difficult for everyone when you're not used to that. Um, and that's why we'll talk about, you know, like you said, the gradual method of in the chair and moving them um, or moving slowly out the door. In that chair method that you mentioned, is there is it like you're doing a certain amount of minutes in the room or until they fall asleep? Or how does that exactly work if you're doing it over a course of two weeks? Yeah. So with the chair method, you're staying in the room the entire time. So
1: it's a method with a lot more involvement. Essentially, as soon as your kiddo goes to bed, you're going to just sit in the chair next to them. And you're going to help them um, work through it just with your presence, not necessarily mm-hmm. like assisting or having a lot of involvement. And when they fall asleep, you leave the room. And then um, through, throughout the middle of the night, if they wake back up or they're crying again, you simply return to your chair and you sit with them and you hold space for their feelings. Um, you know, one thing that you talked about um, with the crying, that's really, really important to remember, even with an involved method like this one, is that there's usually still tears. Yes. So we just have to keep in mind that, you know, you're involved in the process because you're present. And to some families, it's really, really important for them to be present while their child is adjusting. And so you're really present the entire time that they're upset and learning to fall asleep. And then when they're asleep, you leave the room and you stay there for a few nights next to the bed. And then after a few nights, you wanna move halfway across the room and it's the same exact thing. When they're upset and learning to fall asleep, you're there present with them. And when they fall asleep, that's when you can leave the room. And then again, after a few more nights, you're working your way to the door and then you're working your way out of the room after a few nights. So this is a method that does take a while, it usually takes about two weeks um, for things to truly settle in, especially at night, Um, or I'm sorry, especially for naps
0: explains.
1: I love this method. Like I do this method a lot, especially with toddler families, because it's a really good progressive step for families who have been doing things this way for a little while. You know, it's a, it's a big, big step to just you know, put your kid to bed and leave the room so for a lot of families this just feels
0: a lot more manageable. Oh, I agree. I do like this method for the older toddlers. And then the other method you mentioned was like the Ferber. And for Ferber, just for anyone who's not familiar, that is basically you would not sit in the room. You would basically leave the room and graduated intervals before you come in and it's just your presence again, correct?
1: Yeah, so those intervals usually mm-hmm. start pretty short, mm-hmm. um 3 to 5 minutes and then they get a little bit longer. Um as the, as they're awake. So say you might start with three minutes, you put your child to bed, you leave the room three minutes later, if they're still set, you go in just a quick check-in yeah. and then leave the room again. you set another timer for five minutes. And then if they're still upset in five minutes, you check in and then leave the room again. And then 10 minutes, you're going back in, you're checking in and you're leaving again. And then you would, until they fall asleep, it's just 10, 10, 10 minutes. And then the thing about fervor, which is um, really a timed interval method, is that each night the checks just get progressively longer. So the next night you would start at a slightly longer interval. And what that does is over time, it again starts to remove your presence and give just
0: a little bit more time and space for your kiddo to work through that expectation. With both methods, there may be tears, even if you're sitting next to them and holding space with them. And you say that phrase beautifully. And I also talk about that holding space term in that You are allowing them to feel their feelings, understand that they may want you to be next to them because if they were used to that, right? But you are teaching them this skill. And I think I spoke about this in another sleep training or sleep um, episodes that I did in that when we're teaching our children to sleep, of course, if it's new to them, they're not going to love it. Like anything a baby or toddler does, right? You teach them how to do tummy time. You teach them how to do any skill. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to be upset. But whatever method you choose, whether there's tears or not, and especially if there is, It is not a negative thing. It's just more a, Hey, we are teaching you the skill. I'm going to be there for you. And I can't stress that enough. And you said that beautifully because there is still this sort of stigma surrounding managing sleep with sleep training, because you know it's like, Oh, well, my kid cries. If I don't stop the crying or if I'm not there, then they feel like I'm not going to be there for them every time. But no, it's like, Hey, this is sleep time. We're teaching you this awesome skill because you're a big kid and I'm so proud of you. And I know you can do this. And if we can't, we'll try again. It's just this uplifting, positive skill that I look at it. And so I can feel that you feel the same way. So that's really nice because I want parents to really hear that message.
1: Yeah. I mean, when we're, when we're talking about implementing different sleep habits, we're, we're changing things. Mm-hmm. And by nature, children don't love when we change things. But that's okay, because we're their parent. And we know that they have a need, which is to sleep. And the whole family has a need, which is to sleep more. And we are just changing the way we do things, because this works better for our family. And it's okay for them to be upset about that change. You know, there's going to be a lot of times in a child's life, where they're upset about something, and they don't like it. And so you know, it's definitely not our goal as a parent to, you know, stop that
0: big feeling or make sure that our children never cry. Right, kids cry, <laughs> they do. Yeah, they do, and it's it's so important that we recognize that their tears are okay for them to have, and that when we're coming from a place of love, and I, I do I do consider sleep training a place of love because we're trying to teach mm-hmm. them something. It is something that is really it can be very beneficial for for them and. I'm sure all your clients and all my patients too, when they get on the other side, right, the long two weeks or however long it takes, they're like, wow, I can't believe I felt like this was going to be you know, either harder than it was, or they feel worried that I can't believe I thought that this was going to be an awful thing. And then they get to the other side and they're like, "Ah, oh, this was amazing. And I'm so glad I did it. And everyone's getting sleep. The child is still happy. Obviously the child is still connected with the parent because we sleep train my son. It is a beautiful thing. What happens, I'm sure parents may have asked you this, but when you say you know, you're know you going in and checking in, this means not giving them a feeding, anything like that in the toddler age, correct? Or how do you approach you know if a family wants to give them a bottle still, um, which toddlers at this point don't need it for nutritional reasons, but what do you say about if they want a feeding when we're trying to sleep train them or a bottle or something else that they need besides just presents? So as a sleep consultant, I try really, really
1: hard not to give feeding advice, there are things that we kind of generally know just like from being a parent and from Mm -hmm. um, being educated, I always defer to the pediatrician. So I always let the parent know, please talk to your pediatrician about whether or not your child needs to be fed at night. With toddlers, we generally know that the pediatrician is probably going to say that they don't need to eat overnight, but then I even think that's really important to hear from your child's pediatrician who is aware of their growth, their development, and their needs, and you already have a really good relationship with them, hopefully, and so, um, yeah, I always defer that question to the
0: pediatrician. And that's great and that's why I'm here. I'm <laughs> just kidding. But I um, I think that's that's why I love having, you know, specialists in pediatrics on my my podcast because you're right. I think at the end it's important just in case there's some medical issue and you are doing sleep training of any kind that you clear it whatever age the child is. It's just nice to run it by the pediatrician and your pediatrician may have some tips for you knowing your child and knowing you. Um, and then this will be a great episode to, you know, add on to that. But agreed. Um most toddlers we will not worry about feeds at night. There are very rare cases where I would say we need to, but that is usually something we deal with in the daytime. But again, I I think that Victoria brought up a really good point that clear it with your pediatrician, however old your child is. I think this was great. I want to talk about regression. So the child who was doing well, um, and then all of a sudden has regressions, probably similar methods, correct? Or what would you advise for these families?
1: So, with a child who has um, is experiencing a regression, so when this happens, what we really need to do is put on our detective hats and try to figure out why the sleep is regressing. So, most sleep regressions are really, first of all, a true sleep regression is a temporary regression in sleep. Usually, sleep regressions will last around two weeks. Um, if it's going much longer than that, at that point, you're probably looking at habits. But most sleep regressions are the result of a developmental progression, mm-hmm. so a developmental milestone, an, exposure, an explosion in language skills. Um, around two, we're looking at usually the development of, an, of imagination. Um, and then sometimes there's a change in sleep needs. So some kids will hit every single sleep regression, even if you sleep train at a young age. Other kids, you don't even notice that you know they're going through something or that something is going on. I have one of those kids who has hit every single sleep regression right on target. Um, So I'm really glad that you asked about this because this is often where we're like, what I thought sleep was going really, really well. Mm -hmm. What is happening? It's not anymore. Um, So we really want to try to get to the root of what's going on. But while we're doing that, The most important thing you can do is to just stay consistent with the expectations that you already have set. So, if you have a toddler who has already been sleeping independently, um, similar to when we initially implement a sleep training method, you can provide reassurance, you can hold space for their feelings, and you can also maintain your expectation of independent sleep. Remember that it's your toddler's job to test your boundaries. They love testing boundaries, and you can lovingly hold those boundaries for them. But while you're doing that, again, you really want to kind of get to the bottom of what's going on with your kid. Tune in. Are they learning a bunch of new words or um, have they, you know, could they be having, um, I went through this a couple months ago with my own son. He is a little over two now and he started waking up in the middle of the night and he's been sleeping through the night for well over a year now. He started waking up suddenly in the middle of the night and crying out. In a way that was a little um, you know confusing for me and, and a little bit alarming, you know, it gave me a little bit of um, mm-hmm. big feelings. And so I, I really asked myself, like, what could this be? What's going on? I know that he is two years old, his imagination is developing, and I realized that he was probably having bad dreams. And so what I actually did was I introduced a sleep safe Nightlight, which is something that is red, orange, or yellow, in hue. And I put that in his room so that when he woke up, he could look at his surroundings, feel grounded, recognize them. And the next time he had a bad dream, I saw him. He woke up, he looked around, he cried out a little, and then he laid back down and went back to sleep. So, you know, just kind of knowing what our children are going through at a given time, especially when they're working on new skills or when new things are developing, we often see that disrupt sleep. When I'm learning a new skill, or when I'm, you know, reading a really um, interesting, um, like book, or, or, um, you know, just learning something new, sometimes I have trouble sleeping as well. So if they're little humans; it's very, very normal. And we just want to stay consistent. Avoid creating new habits that you don't want to sustain. But then also see what you can adjust. Maybe a um, decrease in sleep needs and. You need to give them a shorter nap during the day. Maybe bedtime could actually be a little bit later. That kind of stuff. So it's definitely important to attack it from both sides or approach it from different sides, I should
0: say. That's a great point because, again, it could be, is there early wakings Early wakings happening that's causing some issues? And again, like the development that can be happening, which I see commonly, obviously, in many different ages, not just the toddler years. So these are all great points. I do not want you to go through the taller years waiting for it to end. I don't want you to go through the taller years feeling dread about when the next tantrum will come. If you have a kiddo, one to four, check out my Toddlers and Tantrums course. This course contains modules on understanding toddler development and why they are the way that they are, understanding why tantrums may happen, mantras to get you through difficult moments with your toddler, including topics surrounding understanding discipline, boundaries, consequences, time ins and time outs, how to teach emotional intelligence and coping skills and common toddler parenting concerns like whining, brushing battles, bedtime battles, hitting, and so much more. This course presents scenarios and scripts to help guide you on many parenting situations in the toddler years and even beyond. Visit pedsdoctalk.com to learn more about my paid and free resources, including the Toddlers and Tantrums course. What about that kid who maybe is dealing with regressions or maybe they're just, you know, learning how to sleep and they're old enough to come out of the room? So these are children, you know, maybe two and a half, three in a toddler bed. What are some tips for these families?
1: Yeah, those invisible boundaries are really, really tricky for kids to master and understand. And especially, you mentioned the two and a half to three year age range. Um, It's especially tricky for kids under three. So Mm -hmm. the first thing that I recommend there is to keep your child, your toddler in a crib for as long as you possibly can. Safety is, of course, non-negotiable, right? But as long as you possibly can, have them in a crib. When they're ready to come out of the crib, if they're struggling to see and understand those invisible boundaries, because now they can get out of their bed, what we really Mm -hmm. want to do is turn their room into a giant crib. (laughs) And so how we do that is we remove anything that's going to be Mm -hmm. distracting. So this one is a hard one, but... Um, if we can, we want to take toys out, um, any heavy furniture that can't be like bolted to the wall and anything that's going to provide a distraction. And then usually when I'm working with clients on this, I have them add an extra tall baby gate to the doorway. And this gives them that physical and visual boundary and barrier that will let them know it's time for sleep. You need to stay in your room. So we've turned the whole room into a giant crib. Now, it's also really important to know that this alone doesn't always solve the problem. So we want to combine it with a behavioral intervention. So um, making sure that your response is super boring. We don't want to reinforce coming out of the room or standing at the gate and yelling or that kind of stuff by offering like a really big response or engaging or interacting with them or um, you know, reminding them a hundred times to go to bed, making sure that the response is really boring. And then things like an okay to wake clock um, can be really helpful too. So something with like a red light when it's time to stay in bed and a green light when it's okay to get up, that can be a really powerful visual cue as well. And then when we're talking about two and a half to three year olds, this is a really, really great age to introduce positive reinforcement and logical consequences. So when they've had a small victory, when they stay in the room for the whole night, we want to make a really, really big deal about that. We want to celebrate it Mm -hmm. endlessly. We're so excited. You did so great telling your body to stay in bed last night. I got so much rest. Your body must feel so good too, because you got so much rest. And then if they're having a tough night, rather than, you know, get really upset about that or make them feel badly about that, it's, it's helpful to implement a logical consequence, something like I'm so tired because I was up a lot last night. You must feel really tired today too. Now, instead of, you know, whatever fun activity you had planned, such as a trip to the park or a play date with a friend, although I know nobody's doing a lot of play dates right now, we have to stay home and rest our bodies. But the good news is that you get to try again tonight and I know you can do it. So, Definitely adding something that provides like a physical or visual barrier is really, really helpful. And then combining it with behavioral intervention as well. Some families and for some kiddos, this is still really, really, really tough. And some families will find that they're wanting to like lock their child in the room or add like one of those doorknob covers so that their child can't get out. This is really more of like a last resort thing, not typically the first thing that I'm going to recommend. Because it can be a lot for a kid to feel closed off from the household like that. But, you know, in some cases where that's the only thing that works, it's certainly effective at keeping your child in the room. I just like to start with uh, a more kind of inviting barrier in the beginning.
0: I agree completely, and the thing is, at that age, right—the two and a half, three—which is, I hope that you waited that long to put a child into a taller bed. I mean, some people do earlier, but yeah, you are able to speak to them and help them understand the rules. Um, do you recommend talking to the child, like, you know, in a few days we're going to be doing something new where we're teaching you how to sleep in, um, in your bed? Do you do you recommend prepping them a little bit so that they're ready for this new exciting thing? Helping them pick out, like, you know, bedding or stuffed animal. How would you kind of do that prep process
1: absolutely so for toddlers two and a half and older we recommend doing a family meeting this is before you start a sleep training method or if you're having trouble you may need to come back and do a family meeting again so absolutely you want to sit your toddler down and you want to talk to them in you know age appropriate terms like what uh you want them to be as involved in the process as you can so we want to let them know what is going to change, what we're going to be doing, what they can expect from you. I'll usually tell my family mm-hmm. to develop a sleep rules chart that says, you know, the rules are that you close your eyes, you stay in bed, I stay very quiet, and I try to sleep. And again, that positive reinforcement and logical consequences. But absolutely, we want to include them as much as possible. We also want to talk to them about like why it's important. Sleep is not a bad thing. This is not a punishment. Our child is not in trouble. They haven't been doing anything wrong, but sleep is awesome. Sleep is so good for our bodies. And so, you know, we'll tell our kiddos things like, when we get good sleep, we can, you know, run faster and jump higher and tell funnier jokes. Whatever works to connect with your kid, that's not going to eliminate any big feelings that they have about the change, but it is going to empower them and make them feel involved in the process. And I, like you said, I kind of recommend doing that as close to the actual day as you can, usually on the day that you're going to start the changes so that, you know, they're not waiting like, oh, well, you said we're going to do it this way, but Mm -hmm. tonight we didn't. So maybe we're not. And then that can kind of, that back and forth can kind of be confusing. So usually the day of, yeah, I recommend absolutely sitting down and talking to them
0: about it and getting them excited about it as much as you can. And you said it perfectly that the nights that don't really go according to your vision as a parent, maybe you thought they'd stay in their bed or, you know, not come out of the the room. You know, you still say to them, like you said earlier that, hey, I'm so proud of you for trying. We're going to try again later. There's no punishment. I agree from a developmental perspective also for children and toddlers that they respond way better to what I'm doing right than what I did wrong. So if we can, you know, acknowledge the good and just say, "Okay, we'll work we'll work on it." And if they didn't do it, they're going to really really come around. For older children, it may take a little bit longer, meaning 1 to 2 weeks sometimes for them to for them to see this start to happen, and that's okay. It's just patience and consistency, like you said earlier, are what's going to get us to that skill for that child and that family. Absolutely. It does take a little bit to come together, but it's well worth it. I guess another question I have going into the child who comes out, you said putting like a little gate so that they can't come out of the room, right? Mm -hmm. Because I find that parents are often trying to bring their child back and forth to the room. Have you had families that Don't want to put the gate up and have a situation where the child is coming out of the room. But what is an alternative if the child keeps coming into the bedroom? Yeah, and the family keeps putting them them back in the room.
1: It's exactly what you just said. If a child, if a family is not um, open to putting a gate in the doorway, and some of them are not, and um, that's so okay. The the way that we would handle that is to do what we call a silent return. So again, very, very boring, very minimal interaction. We're simply gonna walk our child back to their bed and we're gonna let them get in bed and go to sleep. Um, now the thing with the silent return is that this is a method with a lot of involvement and it can sometimes take many, 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 many times of walking them back yeah. to their bed. And so it's one of those ways that requires laser focus consistency. It's absolutely possible and it, it is effective if you apply it with lots of consistency and you have to um, you know remain very calm, cool, confident, and quietly walk them back to their bed. So that is an alternative to adding a gate. Um I would also want to install something like a door alarm so that you know when they're leaving their room so that they're not coming to your bed and you're waking up, you know, two hours later with them next to you because, that's reinforcing too when they're able to yeah when they're able to kind of get away with it I guess
0: yeah I mean I like the gate idea and I think that makes sense and especially what we're talking about here with the room being like the big bed right meaning the whole room is their bed is their bed and so obviously coming out they're basically leaving the bedroom leaving their bed if you will um, have you had situations which I'm sure and we can talk about it where if the child is basically standing at the gate and crying. Would a, would a parent kind of use that FERBER method if they wanted to at the gate to meet them? Or what would you say for that child who's literally standing at the gate, crying out to the family in terms of helping them with that skill? Yeah, absolutely. You just do a brief check-in at the gate. Yes. Um, you're maintaining
1: your your boundary and your expectation and you're saying, you know, you're okay. I still love you. I'm still here. It's yeah. still time to go to sleep.
0: Victoria, I just think we got through so much amazing things with toddler sleep. And it's just really nice talking to you, like I said, because what we are talking about here is how to create a great skill, still showing love as a caring parent. And that's the combination of sleep training that I love so much. What would be your final message to parents in regards to toddler sleep or anything in general? Yeah, thank you so
1: much. So My final message to parents, um, especially parents of toddlers, is that it's not too late. So, you know, a lot of times when a toddler family comes to me, um, that's a concern, like maybe it's too late or, you know, maybe we've quote unquote messed things up now. And that's certainly not what I think, but that's a lot of the language that I hear. And so to those families, I would say it's not too late you've been doing up until this point, what works for your family. And now if it's not working, it's so okay to make changes that feel more sustainable. And then also it's normal for your toddler to have feelings about that change. And it's normal for you to have feelings about that change as well. You know, changing habits for a toddler takes a lot of patience, consistency. It takes some time, but they can do it. You can do it. Your whole family can sleep and it is so worth
0: it. It really is. And I did record about five episodes about sleep earlier on in the podcast, episodes 16 to 20, where I talk about even more things about sleep training, um, a little briefly about toddler sleep as well. But I think this was an amazing episode to really dive into the toddler issues, which I've been getting so many questions about. And, Victoria, where can people find you if they want your services, or are there any resources you wanted to add and share with our listeners today?
1: Absolutely. So I belong to a team of amazing consultants. So Bella Luna family offers child sleep, behavior, potty training, consulting. So you can find us at bellalunafamily.com. You can find us on Instagram
0: and Facebook at Bella Luna family. Perfect. And I'm going to be linking all of these on my show notes, everyone, so you can easily access that. Victoria, thank you again. I'm sure I'll have you on another time because we can talk about so many other things regarding sleep. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review. Share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Peds Doc DocTalk TV. We'll talk to you soon.